Good morning, everyone. This is the Ontolog Forum. It's uh, December 14th, uh, year 2006, and today we have the pleasure of inviting Professor Christopher Schutt, uh to speak at the Ontolog Forum. Uh, he will be giving a talk on the LexCodeGrid project uh, with an acronym LexGrid. Uh, before we go to uh, Professor Schutz, uh, let's go around and introduce uh, ourselves. My name is Peter Yim. I'm one of the co-conveners of the Ontolog Forum, and my day job is with uh, CIM3 and IST. Uh, let's go down the attendee list. Uh, Laverne? Yeah, yes, uh, this is John McGrath. Um, I'm a senior director with uh, a company called Fast Search and Transfer out of Oslo, Norway. Um, and uh, we uh, produce a, an information access and search-based uh, platform. Um, and I've spent a fair amount of time both in the search area as well as in the bioinformatics space. Great. Thanks, John. Bob? I'm Bob Smith. I'm a retired professor emeritus, interested in emergency response and the role that ontology plays in effective response planning. Chris Welty. Hi, Chris Welty from IBM Research. Great. Attila? Uh, this is Attila uh, I am in University in North Cyprus, teaching semantic web on Hi, this is Kirk Conrad, an independent consultant in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area. Anything else we missed? Uh, this is this is Rod Cowan uh, with Computer Sciences Corporation. Uh, providing support to the Defense Threat Reduction Agency. Oh, welcome, Ron. Thank you. And, Peter, this is Catherine Goodyear, uh, providing uh, support to the non-existing agency. Okay. <laughs> and this is Lisa Colvin. I'm an ontologist, and I work at Genentech. Great. Uh, this is Patrick DeRusso. I work for Snowfall Software. I'm interested in topic maps and ontology. Welcome, Patrick. Anyone else? Uh, yes, Laverne Pritchard um, from Pritchard Law Webs in Minneapolis doing um, uh, legal knowledge management and um, uh, representation and very interested in the, in the medical and other aspects uh, of, of this. Fantastic. Uh, do we have Monica Rook uh, back with us? Hello? If not, then uh, let me introduce our invited speaker uh, today. We have the pleasure of having Dr. Shute with us. Uh, Dr. Shute is one of the very smart people, a few that I know, who can get into medical school when applying for an undergraduate admission. I mean, he received his undergrad and, and medical training at Brown University interned at uh, medicine residency at Dartmouth and still training uh, in epi 
epidemiology at Harvard. Uh, he's board certified in internal medicine and a fellow of the American College of Physicians, uh, the American College of Epidemiology and the American College of Medical Informatics. Uh, he became head of the section of medical information resources at Mayo Foundation in 88 and is now professor and chair of biomedical informatics there. Uh, as a career scientist at Mayo, uh, Dr. Schutz, NIH and AHCPR, AHRQ funded research in medical concept representation, uh, clinical information retrieval, and patient repositories have been widely published. He is a board member of the NC Health Information Standards Technology Panel, convener of healthcare concept representation, WG3, uh, within the ISO Health Informatics Technical Committee. He is the chair-elect of the U.S. delegation to ISO PC215 for health informatics and the co-chair of the HL7 Vocabulary Committee. Uh, he is also chair of Biomedical Computing and Health Informatics Study Section at NIH and has served on or chaired multiple of the NIH Biomedical Informatics Study Sections. He has chaired the International Medical Informatics Association, WG6, on medical concept representation since 1994 and was twice elected vice chair of the NC Health Informatics Standards Board. Uh, we got to know Professor Schutz through the introduction of uh, Professor Mark Mewson when Ontolock was uh, trying to prepare a response to the NHIN RFI um, back when uh, Dr. David Braylor was uh, soliciting responses and we had the honor of having uh, Professor Shute on our team and of course he was on several other teams uh, making responses as well. So without further ado, uh, Professor Shute. Chris, all yours. Uh, heavens, yes, thank you very much for that kind introduction, Peter, and it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, let's do a time check. I, you want roughly 45 minutes for this uh, layout here? We got uh, all the way to 12.30, uh, okay. which is like uh, an hour and three quarters. If you spend, let's say, an, an hour um, block, we will have at least a sort of uh, good 30 minutes for further discussion. I mean, it's oh, that's great. So, so I won't have to rush through it then. That's, no, that's don't, don't rush. I mean, if you spend like an hour and a half, and we still have 15 minutes for, for questions and answers. Of course, no one will be awake, but that's all right. <laughs> uh, let's move to the second slide, uh, which acknowledges the contributions to the LexGrid project of uh, a core team of people. I, there are scores of people that have actually contributed to this, but Harold Solberg, now with Apollon, I must acknowledge as the chief architect of the um, effort uh, to create LexGrid. And when I get into the history of it, you'll see the thread that brought him here. Jim Buntrock, of course, is our lead uh, technical uh, IT support person. Tom Johnson has been a major uh, contributor to uh, LexGrid, particularly in our NCI thread of that uh, project with LexBig. And uh, Dan Ambrust <coughs> has been supporting the whole effort. Uh, diligently for a long time. So I 
I must acknowledge that it's genuinely a team effort. On slide three, just a, uh, you've got to have an outline, right? So it's the usual suspects, uh, an overview, some features. Uh, I, I, I dwell on framing the problem a little bit because I am an academic after all, and you get an academic talk, you get stuck with academic framing. Um, uh, we'll then go back to useful stuff on uh, LexGrid history, um, some uh, status of where we are, existing implementations, and a, a slide or two about where the heck this is going um, uh, as a, a project. So on slide four, uh, the overview, uh, there's sort of the, uh, the stock sentence. LexGrid is a package, in a sense, uh, that's a bunch of software and services that allow you to load, publish, and access vocabulary or any ontologic resources. Uh, <coughs> of course, it's more than a package, but we'll get into that. Um, it's based upon an open standard, uh, specifically HL7 Common Terminology Services, and I'll describe a little more about that pedigree and in particular what role the HL7 standard uh, operates. And uh, it's available, um, at least in a reference implementation format, uh, as open source on the website you see there, informatics.mayo.edu. Uh, we're thinking of migrating the implementation to the open health uh, framework of the Eclipse uh, Foundation uh, simply to make it a, a more broadly based effort. Uh, there's no particular reason why Mayo has to, uh, to own or manage this project since it was intended from the outset to be a, uh, a common uh, resource, a, 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 a sort of contributive, collaborative project across a large community. Although its roots are shamelessly in healthcare, there's no uh, particular reason why it couldn't operate across a number of spectra. So let's move on to slave slide five. Uh, we try to explain our little logo there, um, which uh, Harold Solberg threw together after uh, uh, a couple of beers, I think, uh, the interlocking rings. But it's the idea that if we're going to make a representation for vocabulary and other lexical resources, it would be prudent if it were based primarily on standards, and, and that's what we've done in the LexGrid environment, is, is adhere as much as practicable to uh, common access methods and formats. Uh, the tools, of course, have to be a component of any kind of uh, approach to this, since I think the W3C and other communities have demonstrated that without tools, uh, all these standards and formats are pretty interesting, but not that useful. Uh, and then, of course, the core of what we're dealing with is the content itself, the SNOMEDs, the LOINCs, the gene ontologies, the meshes, the UMLSs, and all the other fun stuff that we've come to know and love in healthcare as ontology content. That clearly is at the heart of LexGrid uh, to serve up that content in a useful, standard, and interoperable way. Um, so we're looking at uh, slide six now, uh, the lexical grid. Uh, the vision here is that terminology should be available, uh, intellectual property issues notwithstanding, um, as a commodity resource. There are lots of publicly available terminologies, gene ontology uh, in the United States. SNOMED is legally accessible, but they're just kind of hard to get at. And if you do get at them, uh, you sort of have to put a programmer on a day or two's of work just to figure out what format they're in and how to unwrap them and how to actually make them useful to you. Uh, so the idea is if we could envision, at least in healthcare, and we'll talk a little bit later about what motivated this, 
uh, terminology is a commodity resource that's always accessible, that is uh, mounted, if you will, or made available using a common model for terminology. And I, I'll reemphasize this throughout the talk. One of the core principal concepts of lexical grid is the adoption of a common model. Uh, and this has turned out to be a very practical decision. We haven't met a terminology yet that we couldn't fit into the LexGrid model. That, of course, wasn't true in the beginning. Uh, there were bunches of terminologies that didn't fit the model we had at that time, so we cheated, naturally, and changed the model. Uh, but the model's been fairly stable for the past couple of years. Uh, of course, it's downloadable as a UML diagram from the website, so you can examine it in considerable detail. And we'll cover it superficially later in the talk. But it's available under a common model with a common set of application programmer interfaces, a set of library calls, if you will, against terminologies. Give me the definition of a given term. Give me the surface forms in, in a particular language. Uh, give me uh, all the children of penicillin so I can figure out if somebody's allergic to penicillin, what all the drugs that might pertain to that might be. And that this resource is a scalable, uh, clonable um, resource that can uh, be available in a web environment or a service architecture environment uh, with synchronizations, updates, and version uh, uh, management uh, on a web time uh, basis. That its contents, and this is more a vision than a reality, to be quite frank, uh, the cross-linked bit, uh, we all want to see terminologies cross-linked. We all want to have you know, anatomic notions in SNOMED reference, the same anatomic notions that uh, MeSH uses or based upon the foundational model of anatomy out of uh, Cornelius Rossi's work at, at University of Washington. I mean, that, that's a dream. However, to get to that dream, uh, the premise is we have to start with a common framework for just the mechanics, if you will, of ontology delivery, and that's, that's the LexGrid vision. Um, the contents of that would be exportable, uh, potentially locally extendable, since I haven't met a healthcare institution yet that didn't feel compelled to extend uh, beyond uh, standard content, uh, often for valid reasons. Um, that revisions would have a master synchronization basis and could be broadcast or synchronized uh, using standard uh, techniques across all the nodes that, uh, that actually host that particular content, and uh, amenable to open source tools for browsing, editing, uh, managing, calling, API interfaces, middleware, and the like. That's, in a word, the vision. Has everybody hung up yet, or, or are people still actually there? We wide awake. Yeah, you're, you're still there. All right. This is hard to tell on it, talking into a phone. Uh, so so someone on is slide... typing, so, so if that person uh, can mute this line, it will help to... Slide okay. seven? Uh, slide seven, yes. So the purposes of it are to provide a single information model that can represent any terminology that moves, um, theoretically, uh, with resources that allow that to be published and cross-linked. Uh, and the standardized building block is actually quite important because, you know, a lot of us, when we begin to author ontologies, we'll pull down Protégé or we'll pull down a tool here or there, but, oh, gosh, then we have to actually use it, so that's another set of tools, um, and we actually want to maintain it or distribute it, um, the access problems. Uh, so we find ourselves using an idiosyncratic pile of tools 
Uh, and the whole vision of LexGrid is to provide the basis, or at least the specification initially, of uh, standard building blocks that would take the, uh, uh, the toil and tedium out of using ontologies, at least in healthcare applications, and presumably in others. And the consistency and standardization to support large-scale adoption and use. And there's some very elegant ontologies and vocabularies out there, and I, I think we all appreciate that the uptake and use is not what we think it perhaps should be. Uh, and I, we submit that part of the reason for that is that it's such a tedium and it's such an exercise to figure out how to use each terminology. And once you've learned how to use one, you've learned how to use one. Uh, that knowledge rarely scales uh, to other uh, terminologic uh, content. So on slide eight, we're just enumerating a handful of features here. Accommodate multiple vocabulary and ontology distribution formats, the SNOMED format, the RRF format, and the like. Uh, multiple data stores to uh, take federated vocabulary distribution. So the vision is very clear. Um, National Cancer Institute might mount the NCI thesaurus on a LexGrid node. In fact, they have. Um, at NCI, um, and anybody who wants to synchronize with that node, create, build their own LexGrid node, and decide that they want the NCI thesaurus on it, would be able to set that flag and, and have the current content of NCI, and then they could, by parameters, decide whether or not they wanted to change version as NCI published versions with, with web speed sort of synchronization on a push or, or a pull basis or decide that, no, they want to freeze versions and only do version checking once a month, once a year, once a decade, whatever uh, is uh, pertinent to their use case. Either content will work. Um, so the vision of, of having a consistent way of accessing multiple vocabularies, obviously the API is quite poor for lexical tools and searching. Um, and to be compatible with the HL7 Common Terminology Services Interface. Uh, we'll talk more about the HL7 CTS. Uh, uh, and then uh, the programmatic access. It's very clear that people have their strong feelings about what access environment is going to be uh, most useful for their application, uh, Java or .NET or Surface or .NET Architecture. Uh, and the LexGrid model, of course, and the LexGrid software uh, is intended to support all of those uh, access methods, uh, again, with open source tooling and code uh, so that it can be uh, taken up. Uh, on slide nine, uh, we're basically enumerating some kinds of users, uh, obviously vocabulary services providers, whether you're at the National Library of Medicine or NCI or uh, a small-scale developer. Uh, those that need to integrate um, vocabulary into their applications, and potentially end users. There's no reason why the same access methods used to uh, get at um, production level or runtime uh, access into the uh, model wouldn't work equivalently well for uh, casual browsers. I might add that the CTS, the Common Terminology Services, actually has a different API written for runtime as opposed to browsing but it's based on the same model um, and the same fundamental um, information design and, and uh, node structure for uh, synchronization. So on, on um, slide 10, we see the first pretty picture. Um, and what you see here is the notion of a, of a central LexGrid node. And imagine, it's, it's hard to put too much onto a picture, but 
imagine that this node is simply a point in a sphere or a cloud of coexisting nodes, um, and that each node would have um, its content um, uh, that would be manifest in the data in indexes. So it might house SNOMED, it might house uh, a local terminology or, or anything else. Um, and you could use the standard lexical tools to bring in uh, content from a variety of formats. You see the usual suspects up there, OWL and OBOE and RRF. We'll sort of expand upon those in a bit. Uh, standard tools to edit and browse that content. Um, embedded services, and you see the like big service, that's the uh, cancer uh, uh, bioinformatics grid uh, thread of LexGrid. Um, the LexStar family of services, the common terminology services out of HL7, with uh, uh, clients written in Java and, and other uh, languages, and the export nodes. Um, we frequently uh, export content to Protege so people can play with that in, in that environment. Um, but at some level, we've also modified Protege. Uh, we've rewritten the back end of Protege in cooperation with Mark Musen's group to um, actually use LexGrid as the dedicated backend. Um, and similarly, we've also created uh, Protege interfaces that use Protege as a client um, uh, on the web or the grid, if you will, of content. So it, you can do it dynamically. You can do it uh, uh, on a static export basis or any other kind of uh, basis. So on uh, slide 11, we're just expanding our notion of a node here a little bit. It's obviously a, a, a logical, and I might add potentially local, persistence layer. Uh, it could also be the master layer. It, it depends upon how you configure uh, your update mechanisms. You can designate your own masters. Um, it utilizes any arbitrary uh, backend. Uh, relational databases are obviously fashionable. Um, it's been uh, created in uh, 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 MySQL and Postgres and DB2. Uh, but our, our early renditions, some of you may vaguely recall that we had, and we published a fair amount about this in the early days, uh, we had some renditions in LDAP uh, since at some level uh, lightweight directory access protocol uh, is intended to manage names and, and uh, you know, directories. And if you can think of uh, a vocabulary or an ontology structure as essentially a list of names or directories, um, we do have the cross-arc relationship things that handle somewhat clumsily in LDAP, but you could, you could uh, uh, work it that way, and, and we have implementations that still operate that way. But uh, clearly, um, uh, standard databases are also quite uh, uh, serviceable as the backends of the grid nodes. Uh, the import toolkits on slide 12. Um, uh, obviously, to get that information in, uh, we've uh, authored and distributed and, and make available uh, a bunch of tools that can uh, bring in the drag in, if you will, to a LexGrid format and the LexGrid model uh, things. in rich release format is the Unified Medical Language System um, uh, modern rendition. We also support the uh, original release format, the ORF, uh, which was the standard prior to 2004. Uh, OWL is much easier to import. We'll talk a little bit about exporting OWL. It turns out you have to make some fairly precarious assumptions about content since most terminologies are grossly underspecified with, what, with respect to what OWL expects. Uh, LexGrid XML, our favorite, 
Um, text delimited content, since all want to import this into a, 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 an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, the Ontolog XML, uh, the Apollon proprietary format, simply because there's a lot of stuff available in that format, not the least of which, of course, is uh, SNOMED. Um, and then the OBO formats, uh, working very closely with the gene ontology community and uh, the OBO people at Berkeley and, and uh, uh, Mike Ashburner and Susie Lewis uh, in terms of, and Chris Mungle, specifying uh, interoperability at the uh, OBO uh, layer. The export toolkits are a little less uh, enriched. Um, uh, I'm sorry? Are we going to slide 13? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, slide 13. Um, simply because um, the, uh, there's not been as much demand for that. It, it turns out having stuff in LexGrid turns out to make content fairly useful. Um, and while it is uh, desirable to get the stuff out, uh, it, it's not been as high demand as, as we would have expected initially. Uh, we, we have robust support for the LexGrid XML. OWL, as I said, is a bit flaky because you have to make assumptions about content when you export into OWL, uh, since OWL has a very rigorous and uh, explicit uh, state of assertions that may not be uh, valid um, uh, for some content. The LexGrid editor on slide 14 um, is, uh, to be quite frank, as a bit of software is somewhat underdeveloped, but nonetheless it's available and public. Uh, it's a lightweight editor. We made an explicit decision not to compete with Protege. Uh, we'd rather complement it. In fact, for those of you that may know this, I serve on Mark Musen's advisory committee uh, on the NLM NIH support for his Protege uh, program project grant. Um, and uh, we, we, uh, we collaborate with uh, Protege rather than trying to compete with them. So the LexGrid editor is, is a lightweight editor that is intended explicitly for uh, fairly shallow terminologies. We don't get into description logic specification at all. Uh, you cannot write OWL content in the LexGrid editor. It's not intended to be that way. Uh, but it's a quick and dirty uh, for simple little terms. It does a very good job of managing uh, change, delete, merge, splits, updates, a sort of the provenance and uh, history of files that many people care about uh, when they're dealing with clinical information. Um, uh, and, of course, the whole uh, explicit representation of value sets um, and extensions that are pertinent to the HL7 use cases, uh, and I'll talk about HL7 a bit later. So on uh, slide 15, we're, we're getting into principles here. Uh, the whole premise of LexGrid is that it's, it's based on a shared common model, um, and that's it in a nutshell. That model, in turn, is defined in an XML schema, um, and is a core component of the design. The APIs, um, uh, the Lex Big API is a specific subset of APIs in the LexGrid family. LexGrid and LexBig and LexFin, there are a lot of LexStar families. Uh, again, BIG is the bioinformatics grid out of the National Cancer Institute. That particular API thread is exclusively Java-based, um, and it has some extensions in terms of registering additional load and index functions that were pertinent to the NCI use cases, uh, but could readily be folded back into uh, any uh, application. Um, nonetheless, the LexBig API was where we deliberately separated the notion of a service and data classes 
to make sure that deferred query resolution uh, worked in, in the software environments that we were um, asked to put it into uh, for MCI. So on slide 16, the LexGrid model uh, superficially includes uh, lexical semantics. If you want to think of uh, names and definitions and comments as sort of lexical structures, context in terms of languages, uh, communities, specialties, localizations, um, and then logical semantics, which uh, take a brush at description logic and other associations, including, of course, is a relationships and autonomy uh, um, uh, and, and uh, uh, standard hierarchical relationships. In the model, um, we proposed a standard storage for control vocabularies and ontologies. However, we wanted it to be sufficiently flexible that we could put a bunch of things in there and they wouldn't break the model. Um, it defines more or less how the vocabularies should be formatted and represented programmatically. We've had an XSLT transform is typically what's required uh, to put something into the LexGrid model uh, with several different uh, servers and storage mechanisms uh, on the back end. If we look at slide 18, we're beginning to see um, an overview of that model. Uh, we can see that the, the, the root of it is a particular coding scheme, or think of it as a, a the root node being, in this case, an ontology or a lexicon or a vocabulary. We've, we've entitled it a coding scheme. And coding schemes contain basically two different things, concepts and relationships. Uh, concepts, although Barry Smith doesn't agree with this, um, concepts are what we call the, the each entry element in a, a vocabulary or an ontology. And you can see that it has uh, fairly um, well-defined properties in terms of a presentation or a surface string, um, comment fields, and explicit language definition fields. And on the relationship side, uh, it's a sort of a, uh, an instance of a relationship has uh, draws from a family of relationship association types, and, and they have their target entries. Uh, not a very uh, sophisticated model on the surface, but it turns out to be quite powerful in terms of accommodating uh, just about everything we've been able to throw at it. So on page, uh, slide 19, uh, expansion on what is a code system, um, obviously it can encapsulate the definition of one or more vocabularies, wherein each vocabulary is modeled um, in a code system and has its coding scheme associated with it. That scheme turn tracks the information to identify the code systems and its metadata, um, and uh, the whole thing can be put into a coding scheme container, and clearly within a LexGrid node, the, the explicit expectation is that you can have multiple coding scheme containers, uh, either independently maintained, or, I mean, this is where the vision starts to emerge, explicitly cross-linked across uh, coding scheme containers. Concept on slide 20, um, so you can obviously, you can have an empty coding scheme uh, that's actually supported in the model if you want, um, and that within a coding scheme, a concept is, is, a, is, a, is a notion or a coded entity. I mean, these are the things that usually have numbers associated with them, um, and that concept has to be unique within the code system qualified by at least one term or property. It can't be an, you can't have an empty code. 
um, in, in this model. Um, and the uh, property can uh, obviously be an attribute, a facet, or some other characteristic. Uh, and the concept can be the source or the target of multiple relationships, uh, which, of course, is what you'd expect in any kind of well-formed uh, schema model of, of, of an ontology. Um, on slide 21, standing upon... Are other people uh, hearing a lot of noise? Yes. yes. Tons of noise. Could, could I, again, suggest that everyone uh, mutes their phones by doing a star two on their keypad, please? Um, Except for Chris. Yeah, right. Um, so I'll try to speak over the noise. Uh, on slide 21, the, the relationships are, are, are clearly specified um, uh, to... Uh, be uh, in some way with, within the relationship container so that you can define the nature of, of um, what the relationships between terms are. And those relationships can also have properties uh, such as the transitivity, symmetry, reflectivity, and so on and so forth that is explicitly stated. It's not required that it be stated, but if, it, if, there, if it's known, you can assert that in the model this actually has bearing in a lot of our relationships. You can have multiple instances of a given association assigned um, clearly, and the source and tar target concepts, now this is interesting, uh, may be in the same code system. That is, they are typically, um, and that's the default assumption, but they can go across uh, different coding systems. So this is where we get into the potentially interesting uh, representation of arcing across uh, terminologies or concepts um, in, uh, in a LexGrid node. On slide 22, uh, the LexGrid model itself, as I said earlier, um, is mastered in an XML schema uh, definition format. It, historically, the first LexGrid model was written in LDAP schema. Um, that wasn't, to put it mildly, a very widely used uh, tool um, and got a little pushback on that. We've obviously migrated it to uh, XML schema definition. It's a much more generalizable environment. Um, it, it, we can convert that uh, algorithmically into XML, XMI, uh, and UML, uh, and we can also render it, of course, into specific uh, database schema, uh, Postgres, DB2, MySQL, and LDAP. We can create our legacy LDAP schema uh, from the XML schema definition. Uh, and the programming interfaces are, act, are, are sort of fall out um, of that uh, schema uh, within the Eclipse modeling framework uh, to sort of constrain uh, the kinds of uh, interfaces that have to be compliant with the model um, as specified in the XML schema definition. So now on slide 23, Chris, you've seen some of these slides just the other day. Um, uh, I'm going to get into a little motivation here, um, and I'm, I'm going to go back to Linnaeus, uh, who, as we know, uh, began the whole formal terminology movement, at least in healthcare uh, or, or species classification, sort of making Aristotelian uh, classifications quite explicit and scalable. Uh, but he had trouble in healthcare, and that's because his model or disease of understanding for healthcare was. Uh, was limited. Uh, the example that is often cited is that rabies was classified as a psychiatric disease, 
simply because he didn't, uh, Linnaeus didn't understand the germ theory of disease. On slide 24, we're getting into the genomic era, and just simply to point out that the transformation that we're dealing in the genomic era is going to transform medicine, but poses interesting challenges as we deal in the ontology world uh, or shared semantics across basic science and the clinical community uh, that are a huge challenge. Uh, my obligatory slide 25, um, it's a build slide here. Everything starts with a patient, um, and that when we have patient information, it can generate medical knowledge. On the second click, we see some of those process transforms from data, uh, inferencing into knowledge, managing the knowledge into decision support, and then back into healthcare. The third build on that slide shows that at least in healthcare, this ontology problem or the challenge of shared semantics is quite central to making sense out of what happens to patients uh, and ensuring that knowledge that we generate from taking care of patients can be transformed back into the healthcare process. Um, on the next slide, we see the historical notion of a bill or a billable diagnosis as the historical center of the healthcare universe, uh, which is kind of an old world universe. If we look at the next slide to follow that, we see the Copernican transformation where clinical data becomes the center. And this has important semantic implications. As we try to manage vocabularies and content where the world is literally shifting under our feet as we look at the healthcare problem, uh, tools and resources that can uh, sort of straddle that transformation are important. Is there a comment there? No? thought I heard a, a voice. Um, on slide 28, uh, we're dealing with a traditional continuum here, uh, the recognition that, you know, one size does not fit all in terms of a vocabulary ontology space. Uh, the patient data by its nature is highly detailed. That's when we're in the SNOMED sort of world. But there's an important need to aggregate and highly classify information uh, and that's sort of the DRG or ICD world at the other end of the spectrum. On slide 29, we're simply explicitly representing that spectrum, going across, if you will, the spectrum from detailed nomenclature class data to high-level grouped information, the range from SNOMED to DRGs. Again, this has implications if we're going to manage the underpinning semantics, the underpinning linkage across terminologies, relationships of terminologies, multiple terminologies that are used in healthcare, and making sense of, of how they work together. Uh, on slide 30, I, I quote the work of Scott Bloy, uh, published in the New England Journal in, in 88, where he said, look, you know, the poor doctor, think of their problem. They have to understand or deal with molecular concepts at the level of enzymes and drugs, of gene genomic concepts. He didn't know about SNPs at that time, but that's what he was referring to, gene regulation, uh, of physiologic pathways, of cellular metabolism, tissue function. They have to think of organs like hearts and kidneys and lungs, of whole organisms, preferably a human, um, and a sociology environment, uh, a dangerous uh, workplace, a, a uh, troubled home life, uh, social problems in the community, uh, mental health, uh, all of those levels of reasoning and thinking impact on the healthcare process. And if we think of it from a semantic compartmentalization perspective, 
most of those communities have their own ways of thinking about and expressing those concepts, and surprise, surprise, their own ontologies to contain and represent those uh, concepts. So on slide 31, it's a bit of a whimsical slide, but it's, it's often fairly effective. Uh, we see two lines. The orange line is a crude um, indicator or marker of activity or interest in uh, bioinformatics, ranging from genomics up to genomic testing, maybe. And the green line is sort of the legacy world of medical informatics, where they'll sort of pick up the tag at genomic testing and then go into patient record data and electronic health record structures. These are things they care about deeply. Uh, that's a build slide. If you click on it, uh, we introduce what I characterize as the chasm of semantic despair. Um, and it's the idea that a lot of the molecular and genomics people use a different language, use different ontologies than that used by the clinical world. I mean, the gene ontology is not the same as SNOMED, nor should it be. But if we are ever going to achieve our goal of having genotype to phenotype or, you know, modern medicine based on basic science concepts, we need a semantic bridge across those chasms, uh, and they appear everywhere. On slide 32, we reinforce the notion that each of those intellectual semantic baronial uh, communities has their own um, way of thinking about a problem and way of binding or, or uh, talking about a problem from a terminology a perspective um, uh, very analogous to the slide uh, previously. On slide 33, this is a build slide. So uh, the first click will bring in, if you will, a molecular perspective on uh, some concepts from going down an amino acid to a protein to um, a particular methyltransferase to a particular um, uh, SNP uh, where you're replacing a threonine with uh, uh, leucine, I think, um, in, a, in a particular context. Um, and if we click on that, we're starting to see uh, the trivial application of a description logic so that we can start to add knowledge to these terminologies. Amino acid has translation peptide, and that that peptide actually specifies a protein, uh, or at least a peptide sequence uh, specifies a protein. Um, the next click brings in a companion world. We're now starting to see an anatomical clinical view of anatomy, airway, nasal disease, pulmonary disease, and so on. Um, and the next click brings down a cross-linkage. We're starting to see a bridging, in this case of immunology, where allergic rhinitis actually has bearing on Im immunoglobulins and IgE, immunoglobulin E, which is the one that triggers all your allergies. Um, and that has a cross-linkage to asthma. Um, and then final click on the, well, near final, brings in the uh, relationship that a particular variation in a methyltransferase might actually make people susceptible to IgE um, uh, autoimmune disorders and create an asthmatic situation or an allergic rhinitis as a consequence of a molecular disruption of a particular enzyme. Uh, it's not proven, but it's an interesting theory. Uh, so we're starting to see an explicit cross-linkage across terminology spaces, across semantic worlds and communities, and this defines the challenge in medicine today, no question about it. So the last click on that, of course, is a miracle occurs. We have the roof of the Sistine Chapel um, with the uh, representation of uh, 
uh, I don't know, being touched by God. Um, if we look at um, uh, slide 34, uh, this is a uh, turning the problem upside down, uh, where here we have, a, in this instance, a, a cartoon of a patient record that is populated with findings, events, and interventions. And the little arrows going into the green space on reimbursement and management is the traditional view of ICD-9 and FRIENDS. Uh, but we all recognize uh, the FRIENDS there the being the open boxes for DRG. We all recognize that that's a fairly arbitrary way to aggregate information. And if we use algorithmic mechanisms to aggregate into ICD, and by the way, we don't yet, but when we do, um, there's no particular reason why we couldn't use the same algorithms to aggregate into different box types. Uh, we know that ICD works poorly for public health uh, bioterrorism surveillance. We know that it works poorly for clinical decision support. So there's no reason why we couldn't create those boxes to aggregate information into those spaces uh, for outcomes research. And the set of colored boxes you see is just an arbitrary specification of aggregation domains, uh, any one of which could work. If we move to slide 35, uh, this is a slide I've stolen shamelessly from Harold Solbrig where he's representing, of course, the old Ogden Triangle from the 1920s, uh, the idea that we have an abstract reference uh, which triggers a thought, and then we communicate that reference. Of course, unless we have enough context around that communication, we can, we can have a miscue. And the, the obvious miscue that's implicit on this slide is that you have a man thinking about a rose, giving it to a woman, and the woman thinking, well, no, this isn't a symbol of love. It's just a pretty flower, and you get a, a different context. Uh, and the whole notion of terminologies and explicit semantics is to provide enough context so that those kinds of communication miscues don't happen. I'll spare in this talk the whole notion of terminology models, but you can see, or information models, but you can see that it's tightly interwoven with context in this particular use case. So if we move on to slide 36, we're starting to see the problem proliferation of content of what I call have-it-your-way vocabulary models. Again, early in the talk, I talked about if you give a programmer or support person SNOMED on a CD, they're going to take a few days to figure out what to do with it and how to make it useful. And that's true of the gene ontology or LOINC or NDFRT or just about any terminology that you'd want to use in healthcare. Uh, they are all... Uh, premised upon their own standards with different formats and different models, um, and the mechanisms for sharing content is an active research area. Of course, that fostered the whole LexGrid vision, and on slide 37, there's sort of one slide history here of uh, some uh, activities that took a fairly high-profile view in the past. If you remember the problemless toolkit, or YATIN, um, yet another terminology service that was authored in 96, this was a collaborative effort with Kaiser Permanente and the Convergent Medical Terminology team, obviously our group, in fact it was our grant, um, and Lexical Technology, which of course morphed into Apollon a few years later, um, that became uh, the sort of the prototype uh, demonstration of scalable terminology services. Um, now, Lexical Technology took that, and with our blessing, and created Metaphrase, which was a quasi-commercial resource uh, that did uh, term-to-phrase matching or, or phrase-to-term matching. That was the whole point. You put in a, a pithy phrase, and it would tell you the, the code that would best match that. 
but it was a big black box. It was not a set of services. You couldn't really use it in a scalable fashion. It was sort of a, what you saw was what you got on the metaphrase. And we tried to break that apart, and, and that sort of became the, uh, the Mayo autocoder, which we'll look at a bit later, where we started to crack the covers on that. Meanwhile, the uh, folks in Utah at 3M and um, Intermountain Healthcare uh, worked on what became known as the Lexicon Query Services. This was Harold Solberg's thread, uh, where Harold wrote a, a very elegant specification of terminology services uh, in, that was published in 98 as an OMG specification. Uh, the LQS is an OMG specification. And it formed a very highly specified and, and really, for its time, enormously sophisticated uh, presentation of the issues. Um, from that, Harold joined us in 1998, and so we merged the thread that we had been working on and the Lexicon Query Services to create uh, the first practical product was the common terminology services uh, that came out of HL7. Uh, that's a validated standard. It's now an ANSI standard, and incidentally, it's also an ISO standard. Um, and that became the foundation for what we're calling today LexGrid. Uh, LexGrid is, in fact, a superset of common terminology services. Uh, we'll talk a little bit later about returning that to the standards community because we don't want LexGrid to be an idiosyncratic mail thing. Uh, we think uh, the specifications in LexGrid should go back to HL7 as that superset with added functionality and define what we had always planned to call uh, CTS2, which is not version 2, but it's sort of the superset. Uh, CTS core will will remain uh, probably with minimal, if any, change. Uh, but CTS2 is an extension, and that's where we see the LexGrid uh, project going. Um, so on slide 38, uh, we worked uh, with the, the basic uh, terminology services from the late 90s uh, with some prototypes. We submitted uh, mock-ups and Visual Basic and Delphi and later Java uh, and Usability Lab evaluation and evolved toward a subset of functional needs that form the core, if you will, of terminology services and common terminology services as it came out of HL7. Slide 39, you see a fairly blurry uh, JPEG, uh, it's been blown up too much, uh, of an interface that we wrote, I think, in 2000. Uh, that's sort of the date you see on the top bar there. But here's the premise. You, you, somebody types in a phrase, cellulitis of the right foot with osteomyelitis, and goes on and on. Um, and in the box below that, you see uh, sort of a crude natural language parsing of that phrase. But more pertinently, you see lookup against a terminology service of the corresponding SNOMED codes um, with that crude parsing of the uh, phrase. And with some term expansion for RT foot, of course, is expanded into right foot. With the old style, you, for those you SNOMED fans, you'll notice that this is the old SNOMED international modality of, of multi-axial coding. Uh, modern SNOMED users would blanch at this sort of uh, representation. But it, it, it speaks of the heritage here. Uh, remember, this was uh, six or so years ago. Um, so on slide 40, we see an overview of the evolution of common terminology services, which I said is now uh, an HL7 standard. And it's a fairly crude specification for accessing terminology content. I use the word crude because it was deliberately dumbed down. We didn't want 
terminology services in SNOMED to be uh, overly academic, overly pedantic, overly rich uh, with functionality that would be never used. It's, if anything, potentially underspecified. But it did solve the core use case needs of the HL7 standard. And I might add that the LexGrid model now defines the uh, vocabulary model and the vocabulary maintenance uh, environment within HL7 of the standard HL7 tables and its reference to external sources. Uh, but CTS was a functional model that defined those characteristics as an API. Uh, and again, that API could be made manifest. And we did uh, make a reference implementation in Java. Uh, and I think we actually published a .NET version briefly, but we're not a .NET shop. Uh, so on page uh, 41, uh, we see the CTS APIs, the necessary functions for healthcare terminology, where the goal here was to explicitly decouple terminology from the terminology service. So if you wanted to use SNOMED, you didn't have to go to a SNOMED server. You could go to, to a CTS server that happened to contain SNOMED and happened to contain a whole bunch of other terminologies that might be pertinent to your healthcare enterprise. They were technology independent. It didn't matter whether you're a DB2 shop or a MySQL shop or an Oracle shop, or even if you wanted to use lowly LDAP uh, as a back end. Uh, that really didn't matter. Um, and the common interface and reference model uh, would guarantee that when you call a code system, you'd understand that what you wanted for a code would be a code, what you wanted for a concept would be a concept, what you wanted for a relationship would be that, um, and so on. So on slide 42, we're getting back into LexGrid, um, provide a consistent, standardized uh, way to support large-scale vocabulary and common model. I can't emphasize that enough. Um, the model is the core of the LexGrid uh, uh, proposal, um, and it, it scales from content that's in, uh, you know, column-delimited stuff in Excel to full-blown OWL. Um, that is manifest on a grid architecture. Um, so on 43, this is sort of a cheat sheet of some of the implementations uh, coming up. Um, the NIH Roadmap Project with the uh, Mark Musen's National Center for Biomedical Ontologies, uh, the LexGrid Project, and I'll explain a little bit more of that at the end. Uh, obviously, we've talked a little bit about CA Big, um, the NHIN National Health Information Network in terms of the NLM HL7 coordination projects on that. That's all supported by LexGrid. The Public Health Information Network and CDC has been rewritten in terms of vocabulary services to adopt LexGrid. Um, we are reasonably compliant with a lot of the WC3 standards. Notice there's no blue MLG there. I don't need to say that W3C uses LexGrid. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. But we are compliant with what they do. Um, and there's some discussion as to whether the, the revised or the next version of the 111.79 model would have as its core for the vocabulary uh, content of 111.79 actually the LexGrid model. Uh, Harold Solberg was very active in that particular world. Um, at Mayo, back at home, uh, on slide 44, we use this for uh, natural language processing uh, as we annotate clinical notes. The dictionary lookups and all the dictionaries that we use are surprise, surprise, a cast and manifest and access through LexGrid tools. Uh, we harmonize our data elements and values. 
uh, we use it for information retrieval and the grounding for data governance within our organization to ensure semantic interoperability where data elements are managed by a sort of LexGrid uh, implementation. Slide 45, we're getting into uh, the CA Big environment uh, of the National Cancer Institute. Uh, as many of you know, it's a coordinated infrastructure for cancer research now in its third year of development and piloting. Uh, it includes clinical trials, uh, basic science research, tissue banking and pathology, and obviously vocabulary. I'm missing the vocabulary conference call as we speak. Uh, that's my usual conflict with this forum. Uh, common data elements and architecture. Um, on page 46, uh, the Lex big vision is that we, the whole CA big model is based on a grid architecture or the premise of, of uh, SOA type of uh, uh, service specification so that uh, terminology access becomes just another family of services in the CA big community. Um, and you see in, that, in this instance, uh, a couple of LexGrid nodes, one at NCI at the bottom, another in a cancer center at the top, with some local replicas using um, enterprise vocabulary services, which is now built on top of the LexGrid uh, services uh, as a uh, entree or envelope to uh, uh, CA big content, be that for clinical trials or tissue pathology or other use cases that need it. Uh, on slide 47, we have a build slide here where we're looking at a bit of the, uh, this is an electric browser, uh, a bit of the MCI thesaurus focusing on colon carcinoma, uh, where we see its manifestation into multiple types of colon carcinoma, uh, a build slide overlying that, showing the metadata associated with that particular coding scheme uh, and its presentations, and then a build slide over that, highlighting uh, the hierarchical relationships and the different relationships types. As subtypes, is a disease may have associated and so on, gene associated with disease, types of relationships that are explicitly represented in the uh, NCI uh, thesaurus um, and, of course, accommodated in the LexGrid uh, model uh, as we move forward. On slide 48, we see the LexFin. Uh, uh, description superficially. Uh, FIN is the public health information network uh, out of CDC uh, that is now applying the LexGrid model to replace their vocabulary services to address genomic characterization of disease and most pertinently to create organized value sets so that when the, you know, the epidemiology stormtroopers go out to conquer some uh, disease outbreak, uh, they have a standard set of uh, codes, values, and ways of representing the epidemiology of what's going on in a particular outbreak, and obviously in biosurveillance uh, and, and making sense out of biosense as we aggregate that information nationally. Uh, the LexGrid services are underpinning that. The, on slide 49, you see some very, very slight changes to the um, uh, LexGrid model uh, to adopt the use cases in uh, LexFin. Um, uh, but it's, uh, it's conceptually nearly identical uh, to what you saw earlier. On slide 50, uh, we come back to home base. Uh, HL7 is where we have been sort of creating um, uh, the uh, LexGrid model and the CTS model, uh, but it's used by HL7 for its vocabulary and value domain management for its vocabulary tools and submission and uh, uh, HL7 governance process changes, at least from a uh, specification of the standard 
um, and the data elements associated with it are concerned. On the next slide, you see a, um, a snapshot of the LexGrid editor that we've uh, modified uh, to accommodate the HL7 domain uh, editing requirements. And for those folks familiar with HL7 uh, tools, you see something on the left there that looks for all the world like Rose Tree embedded within an Eclipse window, uh, but that was very easy to emulate, and with actually LexGrid under the hood, of course, uh, but it's made to look and feel like a, uh, a traditional visual basic tool that has been used for nearly a decade in the uh, HL7 editing world, uh, but with a obviously much more robust uh, presentation in the uh, Eclipse framework. Uh, on slide 52, um, Chris, we're back to slides you saw again the other day. Uh, this is the National Center for Biomedical Ontology, uh, the project that um, um, Mark Musen is PI of, part of the NIH roadmap, and Mayo is a major uh, partner in this, and I'm the PI on the uh, uh, component associated with LexGrid as an underpinning uh, infrastructure in this. But the National Center for Biomedical Ontology is an explicit project across the chasm of semantic despair in biomedicine that I was talking about earlier. Uh, on slide 53, you can see that among the tools that are core to the NCBO, including Protege and including uh, Peggy Story's uh, Jambalaya tools out of Victoria, uh, LexGrid is uh, clearly on the map. Uh, and it is the, the, the tool that supports uh, the network of lexical resources with terminologies and ontologies. Uh, and I, I rather think of it as the heart of NCBO. Mark Nissen might not necessarily agree with that, um, but uh, it's clearly a, an important component. Um, on slide 54, these are just some screenshots of the browser that's written by NCBO staff built on top of LexGrid services. Um, and here we have an enumeration of some ontologies uh, that are within uh, the current uh, NCBO repository. Um, we can see on slide 55 that at least as this uh, uh, beta prototype from October, they've actually come out with a new prototype two days ago. I didn't update these slides. Um, but as of October, they had 52 ontologies in NCBO. They'll probably be up to several hundred uh, in a month or two. Um, with uh, roughly 17, uh, 175,000 concepts or classes um, in that uh, environment. Um, if we look at the next slide, we can see a focus on categories of ontology, uh, anatomy, chemical development, uh, nested within NCBO. And on the next slide, uh, the expanded categories. And in this case, we're looking at some genotype uh, categories and some phenotype categories. Since uh, the talk I was giving at IBM earlier this week was on uh, genotype to phenotype individualized medicine uh, issues, and uh, I thought that would be an appropriate focus for demonstrating uh, what NCBO is looking at. But again, all of these ontologies are represented in a LexGrid model uh, and built on LexGrid tools and resources. On slide 58, uh, here's a, a close-up on one of those ontologies, the biological processes ontologies, which for those of you that know the gene ontology or the GO project, uh, it's one of three core ontologies within it. But here's some metadata on that particular ontology uh, in source, the, the gene ontology uh, homepage and uh, the documentation about gene ontology. Um, and uh, 
looking at, at a search screen on page 59, we put in an arbitrary string here of limb, uh, as in a leg or an arm, um, to search across all of the ontologies in the bioportal. And on slide 60, uh, we're seeing the results of that particular search, uh, where you'll notice uh, that we hit a number of ontologies, biological process, human development, anatomy, but we hit those ontologies across multiple spaces. That is to say that string can be in the class name, it can be in the definition, it can be in the properties, or you even see one lone match in a metadata uh, entry, in this case for human developmental anatomy, uh, of that particular string. So you're looking across uh, the environment and can focus in on what you might be interested in, focusing in on mesh uh, uh, content or class names, we see uh, limbic system, hind limb, limb and so on, on slide 61. Um, where, and we can zoom in on one of those on slide 62, uh, where we zoom in on mesh hind limb. And here we're seeing the metadata around a particular concept in a particular ontology. And interestingly, the context of that uh, content or that class or that concept in, uh, in that particular hierarchy uh, with a view graph uh, style um, uh, or touch graph style representation, standard technology, and you can click on that graph and navigate around within, the, within a particular ontology. And in some instances, not very many yet, but in some instances across ontologies, which of course is the vision, I and mean, that's the whole goal here, is to be able to navigate dynamically in real time and author uh, relationships across ontologies. So on slide 63, uh, we simply see another view of limbs. In this case, uh, we're in the uh, mammalian phenotype ontology uh, with some uh, tree associated with the class hierarchy in that particular ontology and focusing on abnormal limbs, digits, and tail morphology. I guess if you're a fish or a zebrafish or a fruit fly, you, uh, the whole notion of whether you have a limb or a tail or what you've got is a, a bit vague. But uh, there you have it for across uh, uh, species uh, representation. Slide 64, I enumerate um, where some of this might be going. Uh, clearly, the whole notion of federated note synchronization and registration discovery of the web service is, is quite exciting. Uh, extensions to support local vocabularies, um, extensions to support uh, the full range of CTS2, Common Terminology Services, second generation, which is currently being defined, and we expect that that will completely subsume the uh, LexGrid specification process. We, Mayo does not aspire to be, my research group does not aspire to be master of LexGrid. Quite the contrary, we see it as public resource. We'd like to get back to our basic research and NLP and, and uh, bioontologies and, and medical uh, discovery. Uh, so this has been a diversion. Um, the extensions to support submission of vocabulary change events, this is quite important as we get sort of a social network to support and maintain. Wiki won't cut it uh, for uh, vocabulary editing and maintenance. A much more formalized structure uh, is clearly required, and, and we hope that LexGrid can evolve to become that sort of structure. Uh, explicit extensions to load and map between vocabulary formats. That's the cross-linking thing. That's where it's all going. 
111.79, that's an ISO standard, as many of you know, from metadata specification that has implicit relationships with vocabulary. Uh, NCI in their early days based their entire medical uh, domain model and uh, a common data element model on 111.79. And as I said, uh, Harold has been working diligently to uh, integrate the LexGrid model to become the second generation specification of 111.79 because frankly 111.79 has a very weak uh, model for vocabulary content and that pose no world of problems, uh, no end of problems for NCI that tries to uh, migrate this. Um, additional services for synonymy and normalization, reasoning, uh, automated coding of medical terms, and a lightweight representation state transfer, or the REST model uh, for service implementation, uh, which presumably is, is, is going to be of value to many people. Um, so on page uh, 65, uh, we have a, a Including slide here, um, I think I tried to build a case for starting with Linnaeus and moving on that biomedical concepts, as we cover this spectrum of medicine from biomolecules to sociology, are very complex and very intertwined. Uh, that biomedicine moving into the future is really going to adopt to a traditional big science community model rather than the cottage industry model of R01s and you know two office docs that have dominated this century last century. 21st century medicine will require comparable and consistent data, spanning clinical and genomic worlds, and, and all the semantic angst that comes with that. The ontologies as formal models of concepts have an opportunity, but the tools and contents and resources to do them in a scalable common environment are becoming increasingly available, and we, we are not without some, uh, at risk of hubris, I suppose, but Nevertheless, uh, some useful case demonstrations believing that LexGrid is emerging uh, within the biomedicine community as an integrating force to uh, uh, at least normalize these disparate ontologies as they move forward. On slide 66, um, as I said earlier, all of these tools are open source. All of these models are publicly available. Uh, there are no intellectual property rights retained. Uh, they're re released under Eclipse Public License, um, and the model, of course, is an HL7 standard. Um, the LexGrid model is not yet an HL7 standard, uh, but is intended to be that. But meanwhile, it is it's freely downloadable and, and browsable and, and usable uh, without any uh, license or, or constraints. We went through our intellectual property uh, wars uh, here in our uh, you know commercial development arm. Uh, many years ago and survived somewhat scathed, but we did survive. Um, and the, we, we believed that the mission of Mayo was to take care of patients. Uh, and we thought that the best way we could contribute to that mission was to make these resources public so that more medical knowledge could be put into more common formats and that the patient would ultimately benefit uh, sort of the Tim Berners-Lee view of the world. We didn't think that uh, trying to commercialize LexGrid, first it would be a trivial market, um, and uh, it didn't make sense uh, to try to con constrain uh, vocabulary. It's sort of like making the periodic table a, uh, a piece of intellectual property. And it would put a, a damper on science and chemistry. And we didn't want to do that with, uh, with LexGrid, so it's, uh, it's available from these formats and others. So that's, uh, that's about an hour.
Um, so if there's anybody left standing, I guess we can have a discussion. Thank you very much, Professor Schutz, in that putting us in landscape on on this monumental work. Thank you. So maybe uh, first of all, uh, there is several ways to get attention. You can you know, one can press one one to show your hand, uh, uh, and then we can ask or. Maybe just speak uh, up. I mean, let's find out who has comments or questions. If, if there are four or five, then we'll go in, in that order. Uh, questions, anyone? Yeah, this is Chris Welty. Go ahead, Chris. I have a question. Anybody, um, Should I just go ahead? Start, maybe uh, anybody else. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm Peter. I also have a question. Maybe I'll ask that after Chris. Okay. Uh, anyone else? Not. Chris, go ahead. Sorry. So I'm curious about, as I understood it, LexGrid by itself is really just a framework for for linking together different existing um, thesauri or, or ontologies, right? It's not That's itself exactly. an ontology. That's exactly right, Chris. LexGrid is an empty shell. It has no content. It's merely a house in which one can put content. Right. Tiny content, concept and relation. And, um, so the, the uh, and you mentioned very early on that, that, that there were some, some issues in converting stuff to OWL because of the, the, the sort of the formal commitment that OWL makes. That's, I think I understood that, that, it's a formal commitment that Al makes that, that LexGrid doesn't. Uh, LexGrid that, can accommodate. What, what I really meant is if you have an OWL representation that's fully specified, we can take that in in a non-lossy way. We're not going to lose that association. But what a lot of people want to do is they want to take ICD, for example, into LexGrid. Okay, we can do that. We can represent ICD. But then they want to export ICD as an OWL ontology. Well, gosh, um, there, as you know, probably better than most people, there's lots of stuff that OWL expects that ICD has never specified. So we don't have the data. We have to fake it and make assumptions about what, it sh what is a reasonable rendition in OWL, but it's not an authoritative. I mean, WHO didn't say that's what it is in OWL. Okay. Do you have a sort of a regular way to translate something specified with LexGrid into into something into OWL? Well, we have a yes, we have a regular way of specifying something that is in what I would call a flat file format, and ICD is a good example of that. Um, into OWL, I don't personally know what those issues are. Um, I, I, okay. I, I, we could do that offline, Chris. Uh, I know we. Sure. We've made a pile of assumptions, and I can look those up and share them with you. Yeah, one of my interests here is that uh, I'm um, involved in the, the new uh, rules working group in the W3C, and it seems to me that the, the sort of the translation problems that you would get in general between these different vocabularies that you have specified here might be better captured as rules. And I, I was just wondering if you knew anything about that observation, or I would probably need more detail. Um, 
I, I am aware that when you try to do mapping across content, you clearly would be well served by rules. It's not a lexical process, as you know, or a syntactic process, or pre not even a representation. It's, it's a rule process. In terms of the um, rule-based model transformations, you know, just taking from, say, an Excel file into a, uh, a LexGrid file or into an OWL file, uh, OWL format, yeah, I could see rules operating there. We use a flat, I mean, to the extent that we rely primarily on XSLT, which is a crude uh, sort of linear rule base, I think what you're really implying is, is a more um, conditional rule-based environment, and, and we haven't done that. Okay. Thanks. Go ahead, Peter. So, Peter Yim here. Uh, Chris, on, on your export to Protege, uh, are you exporting to the native uh, Protege uh, format, or uh, are you sort of doing it to OWL, uh, assuming that Protege takes in OWL? As yeah, we, as we, we have two, um, two ways of doing it. Um, we as one is, of course, to uh, to do that owl transform, but that's fraught with peril, as we just talked about. Mm -hmm. The other way we do it, it, it as you know, the native uh, format within within Protege is Clips, um, and the old Clips specification, um, which is a frame-based structure, uh, and we we're we're able to create a, as I alluded to in the talk. An explicit backend. We replace the backend of Protege um, with a uh, LexGrid server, so that Protege, instead of accessing a project file, can would access LexGrid directly, um, and the Protege content would come into and out of uh, LexGrid um, uh, with an internal. And we essentially embed uh, Protege in an Eclipse environment and, and use LexGrid as the backend. Now. Once we do that, then it becomes quite straightforward to write a project file, a native uh, uh, protege project file, but it's done through the, uh, the importing of content into protege with the, our sort of changed backend and then writing it out again uh, using the native uh, protege uh, file generation. So we can create a project file that way. And that has no danger of um, inappropriate assumption that the OWL transform actually does have. Thanks. Uh, the, uh, the other question, in, in your, your effort to transform between different vocabularies, uh, did you have to write a lot of the uh, transformers, or most of them are the, the uh, tools that are existing? Some of those, I mean, we can see on producing when, when we like export to different different uh, different formats. Yeah, the the exporting is actually much easier because <clears throat> we have control and we understand the semantics and syntax of what's in a LexGrid model. The import is a bear. Um, obviously, we have toolkits that do it, and some terminologies are very well behaved, and you can create fairly quickly using an XML parameter file. 
you know, that this field of a, of, of a target terminology actually corresponds to the concept uh, class in uh, LexGrid. I mean, you just, you have to do those, those mappings of uh, what they call it in their native format to what you want to make it in, in the LexGrid model. That is a manual process, a one-off, but it's still a manual process. And the tools make it a little easier to do, but it is far from an automated process. Um, the hope, of course, is that uh, once we define a common representation format for terminologies that becomes accepted, and whether that's rich release format out of National Library of Medicine, whether that's OWL, whether that's LexGrid format, I mean, at the end of the day, we don't care deeply. Um, we don't have to do these, these transforms of format and syntax. Uh, but to get stuff into LexGrid on a one-time basis, that, that remains a fairly manually intensive uh, process. It, it might take a, a couple of hours for an experienced person to remap the format of a, of a fairly large terminology into the LexGrid specification and then, then run the, uh, the transform. Other comments from the uh, participants? Maybe I have one, one, one more question. Uh, is there any attempt or, or maybe have you reviewed the uh, possibility of uh, connecting the this? I mean, let's look at the uh, LexGrid as sort of a domain uh, vocabulary to something that is, let's say, a, an upper ontology, uh, exomatized upper ontology, in an effort to maybe make the whole thing uh, computable uh, at the end of the day. This is yeah, I, a huge I, process. I know exactly what you're talking about, and uh, no is the short answer. Um, we obviously thought about that. Um, since it's an obvious uh, question and an obvious challenge, we thought it beyond our our resource pool, quite frankly. It would be a very large task to try to harmonize most of the major vocabulary spaces in biomedicine underneath a shared uh, semantic uh, space of, a, of an upper ontology. Uh, to my knowledge, nobody's done that, not even the National Library of Medicine. Uh, although they tried to impose what they call semantic types, which is sort of a crude upper ontology, at least for biomedicine. Um, you know, the IEEE or, or the, the, the psych or the, the standard upper ontologies, um, to my knowledge, maybe somebody on, on the call would, would be more informed. Is anybody aware of people trying to overlay a large family of biomedical ontologies with a standard upper ontology? Yeah, Alan, uh, Alan Rector has, has been looking at Dolce, which is one of the – did they give an ontologue talk, Peter? Alan did. Anyone else? Wow. What? Yeah, Sorry? Alan, did, Alan Rector did give a talk just a few months ago. Of, did he talk about this work? Uh, no, actually. Okay. I mean, not, not but did anyone from the Dolce group give an ontologue talk? Uh, Nicola. Nicola or Aldo or... Yeah, Nicola did, did give a, an ontologue talk, but 
I don't think anything was mentioned in the biomedical informatics career. Okay, uh, so I Alan has been, I don't know how far he got, but Alan had been looking at aligning some parts of, uh, it must have been Galen, but I, I'm not sure actually which one of his ontologies he was looking at, with Dolce, which is one of the uh, upper ontologies. Yeah, that's interesting, because I, I, I've known Alan for 20 years now, and we have dinner together a lot, um, and he hasn't mentioned this, so I... I guess I'm surprised, but uh, I, it sounds like the sort of thing he would be interested in, so I'll, right, right, I'll right. have to see where he is with that project uh, next time. We yeah, I'd like to like to know, too. I remember talking to him about it, and I don't know how far he got. Right. Okay. His talk at Upwork is mainly around vocabulary also. Uh, just like the vocabulary. I guess that the, 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 the job is huge, and if it will be like, yourself, Alan, or Mark, I mean, or, or some joint effort in, uh, to propose it to someone who could fund it. Uh, it's definitely going to be useful. It's not yeah. going to happen until someone does it. Yeah. Did you, did you say, Chris, you, you thought it was, you didn't do it just because you guys didn't have the expertise, or do you really think there's a good reason not to? Well, we didn't have the demand, we didn't have the resource, and if I'm completely honest, we probably didn't have the expertise in the upper ontology space either. So uh -huh. given 0 for 3, we didn't think it was a high, uh, high win there. Do, do you think there would be some value to it? Potentially, but I, I'm, you know, my bias coming fairly shamelessly from the biomedical community uh, we have our own fish to fry uh, trying to relate SNOMED to gene ontology, for example. Do I think that an upper ontology could facilitate that process? Um, I'm skeptical, but I, I, I could be persuaded, and I'd sure like to have it demonstrated to me. And the reason I'm skeptical is because we're dealing at such a subspecialized level where we're talking about, you know, gosh, genomic influences on biomedical pathways or, or, or biological pathways that have influence on tissue metabolism with, with organ function. I mean, you're in the weeds. Uh, most upper bioontologies don't deal with that level of, of detail, but that's what we care about. Yeah. Right. It's an, it's an example when we were sort of presenting our case to uh, NHIN, one one example we put at the time. I mean, you, you talk. I mean, medical professionals talk about time, and everybody else talks about time. I mean, the the, the uh, payments, I mean, the the, the management I mean, needs that concept just as much as anybody else. But why uh, do we have to sort of reinvent the wheel with each vocabulary and run the risk that the, the concepts don't exactly match one another when it comes to conscious. Yeah. Right. Uh, further comments from the, the other participants? Uh, if not, that let's give a round of virtual applause to uh, Professor Christopher Schutt. That's what that noise was through the whole call, where people clapped. Oh, right, right. Thank you.
Thank you. I was I was curious. <laughs> and uh, as, as I mentioned earlier, this session is being recorded, and the telephone actually would be ready in about five minutes, and uh, the MP3 will be posted before the end of the day as will the podcast. So thank you very much for the shoot and everyone who is able to join us today. Well, thank you thank for you. the opportunity. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.